1: It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano.
2: I'm very pleased uh, to be joined by a media personality par excellence, an author of, I think, more than 30 books, a man known as America's most famous rabbi, Rabbi Shmuley Boteak. Shmuley, it's great to talk to you again. How have you been?
1: Uh, Thank you for having me. Uh, Forget the most famous, best-looking.
2: I, I, so far, I'm yet to hear you referred that way in any publication. <laughs> so far, but uh, we'll happy. You, know, how about the one that's willing to wake up the earliest?
1: Um, I'll take that <laughs> to be on your show. It's an honor. Uh, the honor is mine. You
2: know what a fan I am of of yours and all the great work that you've done for for literally decades. Uh, Shmuly, by the way, we were told when uh, Kenneth was uh, was calling you that you were on the phone with someone else. Who else? Who are you talking to at this time of the morning? I have to know.
1: You know that's a good question. Um, I uh, my son is a soldier in the Israeli army, and thank God he is getting married. So I was talking to him.
2: Ah, well, congratulations to to him and to you. That, that's great news, uh, and hopefully he stays safe. Obviously, that's uh, a tough part of the world, which I want to I want to ask you about. A lot of folks first became aware of you, Shmuley, with your collaboration, your relationship with Michael Jackson. You've been described as uh, his spiritual advisor. Michael Jackson, even more so since he passed away, but even while he's alive. So much of what he's uh, been about has been kind of shrouded in mystery. He was seen as somewhat reclusive. You actually seem to get pretty close to him. Uh, Fill folks in. Uh, How did the relationship that you have with Michael Jackson actually begin?
1: Um, We met in the summer of 1999 through a mutual friend. I was the rabbi at Oxford University. Uh, But we met in New York, and it was supposed to be a short meeting. Someone had showed him my book, Kosher Sex, and he wanted to meet the author. And uh, it was supposed to be just a half an hour of meet and greet, but it ended up being hours and hours of, of talk in uh, the townhouse he was renting. He was working on finishing his uh, Invincible album. And he seemed lethargic, energyless. Um, not depressed. I never really saw Michael depressed, but I think um, a little bit lost. And we just kind of hit it off um, because I... In our conversations, I feel I was able to help him identify why there was so much lethargy in his life. I mean, that album took uh, years to complete. It was so over, overdue because he just wasn't doing the work. Um, you can imagine that uh, he was devastated still by the accusations that were made against him in 1993. Um, Michael had no childhood. He was performing from the age of five, and he wanted America's Kids to have a childhood, so he got very involved in children's issues um, and protecting kids. And when he was suddenly uh, accused, uh, it shattered him. It destroyed him. So the main thing that I came up with is I said, you can continue to work for children, but not with children. Work with their parents. In any event, your job is not, I told him, to To be the child's messiah. Your job is not to uh, rescue America's kids. Your job is to Inspire parents to give their children time to have um, regular family dinners to to read them bedtime stories to give them not just quality time but quantity time. And that appealed to him. So we started this national initiative to really try to get parents to prioritize their kids. And that was and we became very close friends.
2: Do you uh, not to relitigate cases that are decades old, but that's something that has dogged him for a big part of his life and even posthumously. Do you believe that any of those accusations about him with respect to children were true?
1: Um, If I wanted to answer that question, honestly, I'd have to say the following. I personally don't believe the allegations. Having known Michael, I don't believe he's capable that he was capable of harming a child. Having said that, I I really just don't know. But I think that we in America have to preserve the presumption of innocence. So let's just go through it for a moment. 1993, he was accused, and he settled. That was probably stupid. It was a terrible mistake. In fact, um, uh, Johnny Cochran, the world-famous attorney, was his attorney. And he's the one who pushed Michael to settle. And I did an event with Michael Jackson and Johnny Cochran at Carnegie Hall. Not a singing event. It was a speaking event at Carnegie Hall. And Johnny Cochran was there. And I, I, he's passed away now. And I asked him, why Why did Michael settle? If he's innocent, why did he settle? And Johnny Cochran said to me, because it was a circus. Because they were going to get him in some way. It was destroying his life. And he had to move on. Um, but there was no admission of guilt. That was 93. In 2003, he was accused again. I knew the family that accused him. I never really believed uh, th- those accusations at all. But that went to trial, a trial of Michael's, uh, a jury of his peers. He was completely exonerated uh, on the first day of deliberations. Uh, he was exonerated of every single charge. So you ha- you have to say that he re- always retained the presumption of innocence.
2: Fair enough. Hey, you, as I mentioned when I was promoting that you were coming on, you have had very public dealings with a number of celebrities, certainly uh, Roseanne after uh, she got in trouble with some salty language she had used on uh, social media. You were her rabbi. How do celebrities find you? Is it because you're so high profile now that they reach out to you proactively? Do you ever seek them out when they're having a tough time publicly?
1: Um, to, the, to listen, I'm not that involved with celebrities. There have been some, and really it's, it was just happenstance. It was really coincidence. Take Roseanne, for example. Uh, she hosted the Roseanne Barr talk show. Uh, it was, uh, I think, on CBS, uh, nationally syndicated every day. And when I published Kosher Sex, I uh, was uh, a guest on her show. And we kind of hit it off. She was a very proud Jewish woman. I think she was surprised that a rabbi had written this best-selling book, Kosher Sex. By the way, we just released the 25th anniversary edition, a whole wow. new edition. Congratulations. So, I ask you uh, about that. And great. she had three Jewish daughters that she wanted to marry. And I was a rabbi at Oxford University at the time. And she asked me if I would bring three guys to meet her daughters. We did a show on it about matchmaking. It was a lot of fun. None of of those uh, relationships worked out. One of them did for a few months, but but her daughters are all happily married. So maybe uh, those shows contributed in some way. Um, Pamela Anderson is another example. Uh, She and I co-authored a book called Lust for Love. That came about because I had read that she had spoken very positively about Israel. And Israel is so unfairly demonized on a regular basis. And I was just surprised, like, What's her connection to Israel? So that was a case of a mutual friend connecting us, and uh, we had uh, lunch together, and I was uh, grateful uh, for her public support for Israel. So we do this annual dinner that honors champions of Israel and people who fight anti-Semitism and friends of the Jewish people, people who promote universal values, and she was an honoree. Uh, It was funny because in the middle of that gala, which I think was at the Marriott Marquis in Times Square, um, it's a fundraiser for our work. And she said that she would, uh, whoever donated $500, uh, she'd give them a kiss. So there was this long line of men. It was just hilarious. <laughs> um, and then we became closer. Listen, celebrity is a double-edged sword. Uh, I, and I know that everyone listening knows that I'm not saying anything new. The double-edged sword is that on the one hand, you spend your life kind of wanting to be known. And then once you get known, you're usually unhappy for what you're known for you know pamela anderson had a lot more to offer than just being a a playboy pinup or uh the star of baywatch so and michael jackson had a lot more than just being a great dancer and a singer a lot you know celebrities are people they have a message they have a values set that they believe in and they wake up one day and they think oh my god i'm only famous for this one thing and is it really that important is it important to be beautiful with a beautiful body is it important to, to dance great aren't there things that are more important and that's where you have say a rabbi or a spiritual advisor who might at times uh be able to help a celebrity find that deeper message which they can leverage through their platforms through this microphone they have to the world to to spread a more a, a positive message. But there's one more I guess overall interaction I have with celebrities and that is I don't like when people are are, are falsely accused of things. That mm, bothers me. Same. Like like Michael Jackson and I don't like when people are canceled and all that stuff so you asked me about Michael Jackson. I gave you an honest answer. You know, I, I have no idea if he ever harmed a child. I would be uh, shocked if it were true, but I really don't know. What I do know is, is that he was never convicted of, of anything. So why was he treated like he was a convicted pedophile? Um, Roseanne Barr was falsely accused of being a racist and being anti-black. I mean, that's pretty presumptuous, given that she introduced to America the first ever successful TV show that featured um, a, a multiracial family. Uh, you know her uh she has a, a an African American granddaughter uh, in that uh, or stepdaughter in in you know in the sh- in the show roseanne and suddenly, based on one stupid tweet and we all make mistakes, she was very upset about president obama's Iran deal and the role that Valerie Jarrett, the presidential advisor had played and she you know wrote something about Planet of the Apes and she made it clear that she was speaking about the totalitarianism that that movie portrayed about how when people people no longer have a voice, but people said, Oh, she meant that Valerie Jarrett is an ape. God forbid. Roseanne was never, she had never been accused of racism. She had always had a very close relationship with the African American community. So it bothered me. People make mistakes. And so we did a podcast together and she cried through the whole podcast and she begged for forgiveness. And she said, I made a mistake. I am no racist. Um, recently Elon Musk, um, was accused of, uh, of uh, anti-Semitism, uh, and he had a big fight with the ADL. Well, I had a public conversation with him on X about 10 days ago. That's a false accusation. Elon Musk, if anything, as he said in our our, our podcast, uh, he said he's, quote, aspirationally Jewish. And he said that two-thirds of his friends are, are Jewish. And uh, he he has no history of anti-Semitism, so, so why should he be accused? So the accusation is, well, there's all this anti-Semitism on X. Okay, so focus on that. Tell him Elon, find the balance, as Prime Minister Netanyahu told them when they were together in California about two weeks ago, find the balance between our, our belief in the First Amendment and yet the need to de-amplify these bigoted, racist, or anti-Semitic voices. But to accuse him of anti-Semitism was really unfair.
0: This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point-of-sale system you can trust, or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail.
2: Uh, talking with Rabbi Shmuley Boteak, a guy that is involved in seemingly uh, everything. You could check out uh, shmuley.com, S H M U L E Y, to check out his books, the work he's done in media, a bunch of other things uh, as well. You, you alluded to anti Semitism a minute ago. One of the things that we've heard a great deal recently is that anti Semitism is on the rise, anti Semitic violence, and other incidents of anti Semitism that don't involve violence, both in the United States and and around the world. Do you share that view that anti-Semitism is on the rise? And do you have something that you attribute that to?
1: Oh, it's, it's undeniable. It's, it's shocking. The, the real shocking part, listen, anti-Semitism is the world's oldest hatred. Um, In the day my mother was born, I just lost my mother seven months ago. So it's a very tough year for me. Sorry. My mother was born. Thank you very much. Uh, The day my mother was born, October 23rd, 1942, 10,000 Jews were murdered. Now, how do I know that? Because every day between uh, 1941 and 19, uh, early 1945, 10,000 Jews were murdered every single day for four years, leading to 6 million murdered Jews. So, um, Those are shocking numbers that are incomprehensible. Look at the United States where on uh, September 11, 2001, almost 3,000 Americans and international citizens were murdered at the Pentagon in Pennsylvania and especially at Ground Zero, and America went to, to war for 20 years uh, in Afghanistan. to kind of punish, avenge, uh, rectify that attack. Well, the Jews had three 9-11s a day, a day for four years. So it's not that anti-Semitism is shocking. We live in, 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 the top, in just three, three generations after the Holocaust, and so many survivors, thank God, are still alive. The shocking part is the rise of anti-Semitism in the United States, where there was really no history of violent anti-Semitism. Uh, America has a terrible history of racism and uh, Jim Crow and segregation and the worst abomination of all, slavery. But it had no violent history of antisemitism against Jews. It did have a history of antisemitism in 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 um, barring Jews from uh, say uh, uh, country clubs and and Ivy League universities and and white shoe law firms, but Jews being murdered as they were in the Tree of Life synagogue in uh, four years ago in Pittsburgh or a year after that in in San Diego in Poway, California, a woman murdered, the rabbi having his uh, fingers shot off. And then um, in New York, uh, a, a a rabbi macheted to death on the Jewish festival right. of Hanukkah. Uh, I mean, all. And, and then, of course, in New Jersey, another two or three people, including two police officers murdered. Um, This is unprecedented in the United States, and it's really shocking. And the rise of neo-Nazis and white supremacy in the United States is very, very troubling and has to be taken seriously.
2: One of the people that was recently accused of anti-Semitism in the political arena, you seem to defend publicly, and I know you guys did sort of a, a public podcast where you address this issue, and that's Robert F. Kennedy Jr. He's getting a lot of attention this week because he's basically signals his intention to run for president as an independent. Do you believe that uh, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. is an anti-Semite?
1: Not only is he not an anti-Semite, he's a Semitophile. He's a great lover and friend of the Jewish people. Uh, his public pronouncements uh, about uh, pertaining to policy about the Jewish state is the most pro-Israel policy platform ever articulated by a presidential candidate, probably in American history. Wow! He's the first president. He's the first presidential candidate to ever say definitively that the Jewish people are the indigenous people connected to the Holy Land, going back 3,000 years to King David and and Joshua and 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 Moses at the at the foot of uh, Canaan. Uh, he's the first to say, as is so clear from the New Testament that um, to the extent that um, Israel's an apartheid state, God forbid, it's not because the Jews are practicing apartheid against our Arab brothers and sisters, uh, God forbid. It's rather that um, the Jews were seen by the white Roman European colonialists as a, as a primitive indigenous population, and they persecuted us 2,000 years ago. They destroyed our temple, and they dispersed us throughout the world. We had no political power. We had no military power. We couldn't come back. And for two thousand years, we were brutalized, murdered, slaughtered, and we always prayed and hoped and and dreamed about returning to our homeland. And history has no precedent of any nation returning after two thousand years, uh, or or any any other time. I mean, this is the 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 ingathering of the exiles to create the state of Israel in 1948 uh, is a miracle. And Bobby is the first presidential candidate to say wow. that re- regardless of how long the Jews were forcibly exiled from their land, they are the indigenous population. Um, He has said that the IDF is the most moral military on Earth, which it is. The IDF loses so many soldiers uh, in in counterterrorism attacks when it could really just blow places up with artillery, um, uh, jet fighter strikes, or especially drone strikes. And they don't. They send in their soldiers because they don't want collateral damage. Uh, It's the most moral military, given the level of threat that it faces. And Bobby has said all that. He was absolutely falsely accused. It was disgusting. Mm Mm-hmm. Listen, my own, my own congressman um, in the 9th District of New Jersey, um, Congressman Josh Gottheimer, when Bobby you know, made this comment that was filmed surreptitiously by the New York Post, uh, and Josh Gottheimer, who's a very pro-Israel Jewish congressman, said that Bobby's an anti-Semite and, and he's a disgrace to the Kennedy name. You know, I texted him. I have, I have Josh's number. We're, we're friends. We actually knew each other from Oxford University 30 years ago. I texted him and I said, you know, this man lost his father, the great Bobby Kennedy, one of the greatest Americans that ever lived. He lost him when he was 14 years old. He was one of the pallbearers at his father's funeral. He gave, he recited the mass at his father's funeral in 1968. Do you think that it's decent to tell this man that he's an affront to mm-hmm. his father and his father's memory because of one stupid comment at a dinner party in New York? I mean, really? You know, where is our decency? America's becoming just a crazy lunatic asylum. Oh,
2: don't get me started. Don't get me started. Uh, I want to run through a couple of other quick areas with you before we run out of time here. I I know uh, you're a Republican. You've run for Congress as a Republican in New Jersey. Uh, There's a, a very hotly contested contest for the Republican nomination. Trump seems to have a big lead. Is there anybody that you favor for the nomination at this point? Anybody you're supporting?
1: Well, let me just tell you, I don't endorse – as a rabbi, I feel that faith and religion has to rise above politics. It can influence politics, but I don't believe it it should be uh, endorsing politicians. So I don't endorse politicians, but I'll tell you people that I admire. And by the way, when you say I'm a Republican, I'm not a brain-dead Republican, and I I have nothing in common with brain-dead Republicans. I'm not Einstein. I'm not the smartest guy in the world, but God gave me a brain, and I'd like to use it. Um, I also have nothing in common with brain dead uh Democrats. I do have a lot in common with uh, thinking and, and and contemplative uh Democrats. They're my fellow Americans. And I'm happy that we live in a society with two parties because I don't want to live in communist China or Putin's sure, Russia same, with one party. Same, I'd like a few more if you're asking me. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, well, Israel, yeah, Israel probably has too many, but yeah, I think so I'll tell you I'll tell you candidates that I admire. I I um, I will always be grateful to Donald Trump for what he did for Israel. Always. He was the most pro-Israel president in American history, bar bar none. But uh, I was very distressed at the events of January 6th. I do not hold him accountable for the attack on the Capitol. I do hold him accountable for not conceding the election. I ran for Congress. I lost. It sucked. It depressed me. But I conceded the election because that's democracy. Right. You win, you lose. But, but the country is bigger than us, and, and, and it disappointed me that Trump could never do that. But that doesn't mean I will ever forget what he did for Israel and many other things. Uh, listen, he was accused of being an Islamophobe, and yet he was the only president to fire missiles at, at Bashar al-Assad when he used uh, mustard and sarin gas against Muslim children and murdered them. President Obama turned over that problem, if you remember, in 2012, believe it or not, to, uh, to bl- Vladimir Putin. I mean, a, a lot of us forget that. Vladimir Putin was the one who President Obama asked to guarantee that Assad would get rid of his uh, his right. President well, uh, President Obama
2: of, got a lot of uh, pressure from Congress on that. Well, what about you? Since you mentioned President Trump, but
1: I, but, I, but I, I mean, listen. I, Nikki Haley's a, a, she's a serious candidate. DeSantis is a serious candidate. There was a time that I actually really kind of liked Joe Biden. You know, he was doing a lot of good for the country, and I think he's a very decent man. But he lost me when he gave Iran six billion dollars two weeks ago. You give murderers, people who slaughter, torture women to death for not covering their hair? You gave them $6 billion so they can kill millions more women and continue to threaten the Jewish people with a genocide and the annihilation of Israel? I mean, that was such a... So Biden lost me completely. I believe in a moral foreign policy. You don't give money to uh, genocidal mass murderers. Hey,
2: Shmuley, I do have to ask you, uh, since we're on the topic of uh, of Trump, he he has been hammered by many for dining with folks like uh, Kanye West and Nick Fuentes, people that have whatever's in their hearts. They've used a lot of anti-Semitic rhetoric. Do you reproach Trump for that?
1: I absolutely reproach him for that, while not in any way believing that Trump is an anti-Semite. Trump is a philo-Semite. Trump is a phenomenal friend of the Jewish people. But he thinks he can get away with dining with dyed-in-the-wool anti-Semites. Fuentes is a despicable, abominable human being uh, semitic to the core, racist bigot. He's a, he's a, a vile, vile person. Kanye West is a Hitler lover, a self-confessed Hitler lover. Uh, when people say he's troubled, uh, that's an excuse. I don't accept that. I think he knows exactly what he's doing. He's trying to be provocative. Please don't be provocative at the expense of the 6 million who were murdered by Hitler. Um, and when Trump sits with them, I think Trump knows having been, the most pro-Israel president, he thinks he can get away with it. No. Being the guy who moved the embassy to Jerusalem is incredible. That is no excuse to elevate anti-Semites and white supremacists uh, in the not. Unab- Sh-
2: Shmuley, we're going to have to end it there. I hope you have had a delightful Sukkot, and uh, wishing you the best on this last day of Sukkot.
1: God, God bless you, and it's only for you that I'd get up. So thank, thank you. you.
2: Let's, I hope we can ask you to do it again sometime soon.
1: Oh, I, I so enjoyed the, the discussion. I look forward. Thank, Thank
2: you. Thank you, Rabbi Shmuley Boteok. Check out his website, shmuley.com. dot com, 9222 if you want to comment straight ahead.